This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Open up your Bibles. We're going to look at a psalm tonight. This is going to be a sermon, but it may feel a little bit like a meditation as well. Uh, Let's look at Psalm 131. So if you can open up your Bibles there, and then uh, I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to jump in. We'll finish, uh, we'll finish 1 Peter. I think we'll be done about the third week of January, so we'll jump, jump back into there. We'll kind of have a uh, New Year's message next week, and then a couple of messages on um, 1 Peter, and then we're going to go on to a series about worship. So uh, let's pray. God, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for gathering uh, us together uh, safely. Uh, Lord, we do pray, even as we just spoke earlier, for those who are suffering and displaced in our, in our region, uh, we just pray, God, for comfort for those who've lost family and friends, and we pray for strength and help uh, for those who are displaced at this point. We pray that you would rule and reign in, in lives and that the gospel would shine brightly uh, during a time of loss, Lord, we pray. And as we look at this text right now, I pray that you would give us all focus I pray that you would remove distractions, and I really pray that you would speak to us and prepare us uh, for the new year as we look at your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I referred to this earlier. I wasn't quite sure how to greet you at the first, the, uh, of the, you know, when I got up and uh, did the announcements earlier, because this is uh, kind of an interesting time in our culture. It's this week that's different, I think, than any other week uh, in the year, and it's always a different Sunday. Uh, you didn't have any trouble finding, uh, you could not only find, easily find a seat, you could find a row tonight uh, if you wanted one for yourself. So it's just a different time. It's between all the festivities of Christmas and the new year. So a lot of you are off, kids are out of school, um, people are, uh, are off right now, not everybody, but a lot of people are. Businesses slow down at this time of year. Uh, so people take off work, use their vacation days, um, and everybody's kind of laid back. It's the calm before the storm of the new year. But real soon, life's going to kick back in and it's going to be busy again, and it's going to be busier. It was really busy to Christmas, then there's this lull, and then it gets busy again because there's new agendas, there's new goals, there's new activity, there's new change, there's personal change and new horizons and a great vision for the new year. And so enjoy your time off because really soon you're going to go right back and you're going to have all the same problems you had before you took off and slowed down. And it's only going to be magnified because there's going to be this intense, sense of we've got to do something great this year. We've got to accomplish a lot this year. And so that's why I wanted to look at this psalm, Psalm 131, because I think it's going to really help us. Uh, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive passage to look at leading into the new year, but I think it's going to really help us prepare our hearts for the new year. It's, a short, it's one of my favorite psalms. I absolutely love it. It's short enough that you could memorize it by the time I'm done uh, preaching tonight. You really could. So here, let's read it together. Psalm 131, I'll read it to you. This is a song of ascents. This is one of the psalms that the people of God sang as they journeyed up uh, to one of the festivals or to the festivals in Jerusalem annually. So it says, a song of a sense of David. He's the author. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. 
I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is a psalm that's written by David, as it says, and it's a psalm that's primarily about confidence in God. Faith in God, confidence in God. But it's not just generic confidence in God. It's confidence in God that has produced in David a quiet soul. A quiet soul. Do you know what a quiet soul is? Last night, my wife and I were talking, and she asked me, because I hadn't told her what I was speaking on, and she said, so what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, well, I'm going to be preaching on a quiet soul. And she said, oh, I'm going to have to miss it because I'm, I'm going to be in the toddler class. And I said, you will need to hear the podcast because you will not be having a quiet soul, uh, nor will there be quiet souls. There may be quiet souls uh, in the toddler class for sure. Uh, but what is a quiet soul? Is your soul noisy? And if so, do you know how to calm a noisy soul. Do you know what that is? Well, well, a couple things I want to say about what it's not. Um, It's not a personality thing. So having a quiet soul, David uses the words, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Having a calmed soul is not a personality thing. It doesn't mean someone's real laid back. It doesn't mean that someone is, is just very super easygoing. That, nothing, that, that emotionally they're sort of bent towards nothing really gets at them. They're just sort of easygoing. It doesn't mean introverted. Because you can be introverted and have a very noisy soul, and you can be boisterous and loud in your personality and have a very calm soul. So it's not just a, a personality trait. It's not talking about circumstances either. It's not, David's not talking here about, you know, everything was easy in my life. It's not talking about retreating from the busyness of life. It's not talking about retreating from the pressures of life and just getting to a place where everything's quiet, though that could be part of the process. But it's not just that. It's not just getting to a quiet place and now my soul is calm. It's not a life of ease. He's talking about a work of the Holy Spirit in our souls that affects how we view God, how we view ourselves, how we view all of life, and it's a way of experiencing life that is different than the kind of frenetic pace, the busyness, the distraction, the scattered kind of soul that many of us live with. So I'm going to look at this verse by verse and talk about what is a quiet soul, which is what he talks about, and how do we achieve the quiet soul. The first thing it teaches us in this, um, in this psalm is that a quiet soul is not proud. I mean, I could say a quiet soul is humble, but I say a quiet soul is not proud. A quiet soul is not proud. The first phrases in verse 1 refer to pride. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, and my eyes are not raised too high. These are phrases used elsewhere in the Bible that refer to human pride. Now, the New American Standard Bible and the NIV both translate this verse the same way, differently than the ESV. They translate it, my heart is not proud, and my eyes are not haughty. 
My heart is not proud, and my eyes are not haughty. Uh, I think that's a good translation. Here's, here's kind of a Bible study hack for you, by the way, that, that's helpful. It's helpful to read out of more than one translation when you're going through a passage like this and a verse like this, because oftentimes translators will, uh, you know, will make an adjustment in how they translate something that may give you more clarity. So I, I always try to read the ESV, the New American Standard, which is uh, quite literal but a little wooden, to read, but helpful in a study. So the New American Standard and the NIV, the ESV, the New American Standard, NIV. You could also look at maybe the New, Res- New Revised Standard version as well. But those three I always look at, or not always, I try to look at. Uh, you can go to Bible Gateway. That's one place, BibleGateway.com, BibleGateway.com, and you can look at any translation there. So you can compare translations, and that's a helpful way to, to know uh, where there's a nuanced difference. But here, both of those other translations, which are sound, the New American Standard and NIV, say, my heart is not proud and my eyes are not haughty. The biblical picture of a humble person is someone who's low in spirit, lowly in spirit, as opposed to what David says, my heart is not lifted up. The lifted up spirit is the spirit that is, in this case, describing the spirit that is proud. It's the person who has the lifted up heart. We might say it this way, it's the person who is full of himself or full of herself. It is a person that is consumed with himself, the person who is focused on herself the person that is constantly thinking of himself. Humility is a heart not lifted up, but a heart brought low before the Lord. The arrogant heart is the one that is lifted up. And the next phrase is similar. My eyes are not haughty or are not raised too high. When this is used elsewhere in the Bible, the eyes that are raised high mean they are raised high in relation to others. It is high eyes looking down upon others, and that's why haughty eyes is a fair translation. My eyes are not haughty. He's saying, I don't look down my, we would say it this way, I don't look down my nose on other people. I don't look down on people. So my heart's not lifted up like I'm full of me, or the NIV, my heart's not proud, and my eyes are not haughty. I'm not looking down on other people. Pride always looks to other people and seeks to rank We rank ourselves and compare ourselves with other people. And when we are proud, we look at others and we critique others. We judge others. Now, all along, we're not even aware of this so often, but when we just start to point out people's failures, that we start to point out people how they look, uh, that person's unattractive, or this person doesn't know how to do this, or this person, there's always this subtle lifting of ourselves up so that as we criticize others, our eyes are lifted and we are looking down upon others. And so pride is always looking at others to say, how do I measure up? Am I more talented than someone else? Am I smarter than someone else? Am I more attractive than someone else? This even happens in the church. Am I more godly than someone else? Am I more gifted, spiritually gifted than someone else? Do I serve more than someone else? Am I, is I, am I better Am I better liked than some, I guess, more popular than someone else? Pride is not only found in seeking to be superior to others and looking down upon them, but sort of desiring to be able to look down upon them. Sometimes we compare ourselves with others and we, we, uh, we come up short in the comparison and we, we feel like we are inferior to others. So we look at other people and we critique ourselves 
and say, well, I'm not as good as that person. We're envious of other people. We're envious of their friendships and their relationships. We're jealous of their job or their marriage uh, or their appearance or their wealth um, or their spiritual gifts even. So we can be jealous of other people. We're still comparing ourselves, and we're coming up discouraged because we're wanting to be on the top end of things with haughty eyes. So sometimes you don't have haughty eyes, but you want haughty eyes. And because you're not in a position to have haughty eyes, we're discouraged, depressed, um, self-critical of ourselves, thinking we don't measure up with intelligence, beauty, finances, friendships, whatever, whatever it is. When our hearts are lifted up and we're focused on ourselves, when our eyes are looking down upon others or comparing ourselves with others and coming up with discouragement, it's still the same. It's an inverted pride, but it's the same thing. When that is happening, when I'm looking around, comparing myself with others, when I'm full of myself, absorbed with how everything affects me, I will always have a noisy soul. The proud heart always has a noisy soul. There is never the peace of Christ filling the arrogant heart. It is the humble heart. It is the humble heart that looks outside of oneself that experiences the calm and the peace of God. Pride always looks inward. Humility looks to God and looks to others and can experience God's gracious rest. But pride always it's it's there's an whenever there's that comparison when others looking to others whenever there's full of me how does everything affect me consumed with my world there's always an agitation of soul and never a contentment of soul and that's why david's able to say in this situation lord look look i'm not living my life uh, filled with this kind of agitating pride right now. Uh, my eyes are not looking down upon others, and in this moment, I am experiencing the calm of the Lord because the quiet soul is not proud. He goes on secondly, and we could say this, number two, the quiet soul is not presumptuous. The quiet soul is not presumptuous. He says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Uh, That verse, that phrase, is the very definition of presumption. To be presumptuous means uh, to fail to observe the limits of what is permitted or what is appropriate. To have presumption is to not look at limits of what is appropriate. It's, it, it is to cross those or to desire to cross those. It's, it's to fail to see limits of what is permitted and what is appropriate. And that's what that verse says. He says, I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. David is saying there are things too great and too marvelous for me, and I'm not crossing into that area. Now, this is not what I'm supposed to be preaching at the new year because I'm supposed to be telling you that this is your year of breakthrough and that there are no limits on you. This is the year to unleash your greatness. This is the year to, in fact, occupy yourselves that are to- with things that are totally great, that are totally marvelous because you, my friend, are marvelous. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But I'm going to fail as an American self-help pastor today, and I'm going to tell you that this scripture says, do not occupy yourself with things too great and too marvelous for you. Welcome to the new year. There are limits on you. There are limits on me. And if you want a calm soul, you must know where the line is 
and where the barrier is, what the limits are. Now, he is not saying have no ambitions with your life. He is not saying have no goals. He's not saying don't try to accomplish anything. He's not saying memorize verse one and sit on a couch and eat ice cream for 2016. He's not saying like not do anything. That's not what he's advocating. He's not saying godliness is aiming low with your life and accomplish as little as possible. What are you doing? I'm accomplishing nothing. Proverbs 130, I mean, I'm sorry, Psalms 131.1. That's my life verse. Psalm 131.1. I am doing nothing great and nothing marvelous because it's all beyond me. That's not what he is talking about. But what he is saying, there are things that are too great and too marvelous for us. Things that are too great, what, who, I was going to say what or who, is too great and too marvelous. God is. God is the one, who, he is greater than we. He is more marvelous than we are. There are things that are too great and too marvelous, and that is applying to God. I think we could, we could summarize it this way. We could say, he's saying, I do not occupy myself with things that are God's business and not mine. I do not occupy myself with stuff that's too lofty for me to know because it's God's business, that's too lofty for me to understand because it's God's territory, that's too marvelous for me to venture into because it's the prerogative of Almighty God. He's acknowledging that there is a limit that I know my place, is what he's saying. And when I know my place, my soul will be calm. But whenever I am bumping up against that barrier, and whether I am pressing in to the area I don't belong that is God's, and I'll flesh this out in a moment, but when that happens, you will have a noisy, agitated, restless soul. The Bible is really clear from its first verse, really clear. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible is really clear. There is one God who is eternal. He is in three persons, and you are not him. He's not accepting applications for divinity or deity. He, we're not moving from the Trinity to the quadrinity, and if you send in your resume, you got a shot. God is not expanding the Godhead. He is God and we are not. And we must recognize our creatureliness. We are creatures. He is the creator. And so David can say, I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. He's not saying, oh, I'm not very good in math. So if it's like a really hard problem, I'm not. No, he's not saying that kind of thing. What is great and marvelous? It is God. And there are barriers between God and us. Now, please note, this is a king writing this. This isn't someone who has accomplished nothing with his life or who has no great agenda before him. This is a man of great responsibility. David is either reigning as king when he writes this or he's preparing to reign as king. That is very significant. He is occupied, please note, he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. His role is the greatest, most marvelous role on the planet when he's living. He is humanly leading not just a nation, but God's people, the nation of God's people. There's no more great, marvelous calling of anyone at this time in terms of responsibility. He has the greatest responsibility, arguably, for the, for the greatest number of lives 
of anyone at his time. And yet, so he is, he's involved in very great and marvelous things, but he says, there is a limit to where I will let my heart go. There is a limit to where my mind will go. And that limit is my responsibilities. And I will not exceed into where God is responsible for when we do, we have a noisy soul. And much of the time, much of the time when my soul lacks rest, it's for this very reason, that I'm aiming to be God. And I'm not living in my creatureliness as a worshiper of God. I'm seeking to angle into his place. There is, when I'm trying to know the unknowable, David knows there are things he will not know because they're too great and too marvelous for him. And he says, I'm not going to venture into the unknowable. I'm not going to venture into the unknowable. Here's a verse that is really helpful, has been helpful to me. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29. I think it refers to this very passage, or this very verse. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. The secret things belong to God, but in essence, the revealed things belong to us so that we may live out God's word is what he's saying. So there are certain things God has revealed to us, and he has revealed to us right here everything we need to know for life and godliness, the scripture says. So this is the revealed will of God. And, and there's things revealed by God elsewhere, uh, you know, through, through, uh, by common grace, through other means of learning. But knowing God himself, that comes through the scripture. And so this is revealed, but there are secret things that are not revealed that if you trouble yourself to know the hidden things that belong to God and you bump up against the barrier, Demanding to know your soul will be in torment. They're often the why questions. Why did this happen? Especially in suffering. Why did this happen? It's just unknowable. There is much about life that we are not going to be able to know. There are many answers that we are not going to be given. Why did God do a certain thing? Why did God not allow another certain thing? But he has given us everything we need to live a full life, a meaningful life, and a fruitful life before God. We, when we start pre- with presumption prying in to demanding to know the unknowable, which is often the, the hidden will of God. Why does God do a certain thing that's not revealed in the Scripture? Then we will not be, have a quiet soul. But David says here, look, I'm not occupying my, myself with that stuff. I'm not giving my thought life to fretting and worrying and cogitating about all of the things of why did this happen, why didn't that happen, if God is good, why did he allow that? I, I can't go there. I'm not God, and I'm not going to have the answer. And when I settle that in my soul, that that's too lofty, too great, and too marvelous, I know a rest in my soul. It's not only what we know, but it's when we try to be God. Not, not Things too great and too marvelous to me. for me. Sometimes there's a temptation to act like God ourselves. And this usually comes when we try to be sovereign and rule and control. 
things that are uncontrollable. So I think crossing into the barrier of God, the things that are too great and too marvelous that we can occupy ourselves with, there may be many, but it's, sometimes it's things that God knows that we do not know, and sometimes it's things God controls that we cannot control. On Psalm 131, David Pallison, a Christian counselor, um, a biblical counselor, he wrote the following. Most of the noise in our souls is generated by trying to control the uncontrollable. I believe that. Most of the noise in our souls is generated by trying to control the uncontrollable. David could not control the circumstances or the people in his life. David was anointed king, and yet his predecessor, Saul, did not want him to be king and resisted him and tried to kill him repeatedly, repeatedly. I mean, how many times would David have been understandably uh, questioning God? Lord, the prophet Samuel, you said to the prophet Samuel, I'm to be the king. And the current king is not making a place for me. He's throwing a spear at me. God, how can this be? This doesn't make sense. If David lived there, he would not be writing Psalm 131. I'm sure he lived there at points. But when he wrote Psalm 31, 131, he's not reflecting that kind of lifestyle. Or how about later in his life when David actually did lead as king and his own son? This isn't Saul. This is his own flesh and blood. His own son, Absalom, conspires with others to run him out of office and to take over in his place. I, and can you imagine, if you're a parent, anything more painful than having one of your own children love themselves and hate and despise you so much that they would seek to ruin your life, take your position and role, perhaps kill you so that they could, they could have your spot? How would you feel as a parent? I, mean, I can't imagine anything more painful, hardly, than that. If, if he's going to go, if he's going to live with, wow, well, what did I do, and what about Absalom, and all the unanswered, why is God allowing this, God, I'm just trying to serve you, why is this, this is going to be terrible for the people of God. If he lived with trying to control and know all of what God allows and doesn't allow, he'd be a wreck. That, that's nervous breakdown right there. But he said, I, I gotta have a barrier. I, I gotta obey the scripture, I gotta know the Lord, and I gotta leave his ways in his hands and trust that he is good. I cannot occupy myself, myself with the unknowable. I cannot occupy myself seeking to control the uncontrollable. I can't control Saul. I can pray, I can bless him. That's what he did, he blessed him rather than harmed him. For my son, I can weep, I can pray. What can I do? I've got to trust the Lord. I'm a creation, a creature, and he's almighty God. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. The secret things belong to the Lord. The secret counsel of the Lord belongs to him. And if we leave our, live our lives seeking, demanding to know why, seeking to require of God an explanation for his ways that aren't revealed in scripture, we will have tormented souls. It will cost you sleep. It will cost you fruitfulness. It, it may cost you your health, actually. The quiet soul is 
not presumptuous. We, when I'm quiet in my soul, it's when I know my place, and I know God's place, and I'm glad he's on the throne and not me. Number three, the quiet soul results in this. The quiet soul is not restless. It's not restless. Verse two, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Before we even look at what that means, I think it's amazing that David, the king, David, there's such poetic power in this imagery. David, who is a warrior, David, the slayer of Goliath, David, of whom everyone said Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his tens of thousands, and we know he was a man of war, and it cost him. He was a man who shed unnecessary blood at points, didn't just obey what the Lord called. There was times when he was obeying the Lord and going to war, but there's times where he shed unnecessary blood, and uh, the Lord held him accountable for that in the Scripture. But he was a great warrior who did war for the Lord. Uh, according to the Lord's direction at various times. And so here is the king, the warrior, the leader, the courageous, brave guy who is comparing himself. I'm like a baby in my mama's lap. That's what my soul is like. So I think it's a powerful imagery uh, that David is using this. Well, what does that picture mean? That my soul is like a weaned child. One commentator, Tremper Longman is his name, he said this, I think it's helpful. He said, a weaned child can rest comfortably in its mother's arms, while a baby who is not yet weaned is fussy and restless. Here the psalmist provides a picture image of the kind of trusting confidence that he is now experiencing. Now, lest we think that David was some kind of perfect guy, he wasn't. Jesus is the only one who lived out this psalm all his life. Uh, but he, he does say, I have calmed and quieted my soul, which I think indicates there was a time when it wasn't calm and quiet. And I was like a child who wasn't weaned. And like a child who's not weaned the baby on the lap of the parent um, who wants milk and the mom has it, the child is rooting and restless and fussy, but the child that is weaned is at rest. And he's saying, that's what my soul is like. And it didn't just happen. He doesn't say, I'm special, and as the king who's writing the Bible, or sections of the Bible, by the way, I have this special dispensation that God has given me rest in the midst of great turmoil. He doesn't say that. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. He took some kind of action in his life that brought him to a place it, it was a cooperative effort. It's obviously the work of the Lord. If you read the Bible, it is the Lord that produces fruit in our lives by the Holy Spirit. So from the Lord's point of view, it is the Lord who worked something in David. But from a human point of view, he did respond to the Lord, and now he has greater confidence than he did before. And I want to hold this out as hopeful to all of us. All of us wrestle with a noisy soul. But if your soul's particularly noisy right now, I want to hold this out as confidence for you. If you're racked with anxiety and worries and fears and whys and why nots, and your mind is always racing with that kind of stuff, or frequently is, um, well, I want to encourage you that you don't have to 
remain there, that there's God's grace who can change us and can help us. And this is hopeful to me because he didn't say, because I'm special, I get this. He says, I have calmed and I have quieted. He, he, I think it starts with us quieting our souls. It starts with us talking to our own souls. I don't know if you know, but uh, there are passages of Scripture where the person uh, talks. The Psalm, I didn't look this up ahead of time, but Psalm where, uh, why, O soul? The person talks to his own soul. Why are you restless? Why are you worried? Why are you fearful? There's an addressing of our own heart. The problem is, um, as Martin Lloyd-Jones famously said, the problem is we listen to ourselves and we don't talk to ourselves, and so we're not calmed and quieted. We're just responding to the voice that we hear of worry. This is what he said. Have you realized, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, which is a good book, and this is what he said. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you, and they bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. And he talks about how we, we have to address our own hearts. And David calms and quiets his own heart. He doesn't say here how he did that, though I think there's a hint, at least in verse 3. But he didn't say exactly <clears throat> how he did that. But he must have communicated something to himself about God and his nature that the reason he cannot occupy himself with things too great and marvelous is because he's confident God can handle things that are too great and too marvelous. And the reason that his soul is not lifted up is because his soul is low and dependent upon the Lord. And the reason his eyes are not haughty looking down upon others is because he's aware of his own inadequacies and he is looking to the glory of God and the, and the wonder and the grace of God. And so there is something to remind ourselves about the nature of God. I'm going to talk about this in a minute when we wrap up. Uh, but this is, a great, this is a great psalm to memorize. I mentioned you could probably do it before I'm done. That, that might be a little bit ambitious, especially if you're listening to anything I'm saying. But, uh, but you could memorize this in the next 24 hours uh, for sure. It's because it's so short. But one of the things we can do is remind ourselves these truths about God. Um, which are found throughout the Psalms, throughout the Bible. The truths of God that put our heart at rest, the truths where we're confident in his knowledge and in his goodness and in his steadfast love and his power um, in his ability in the midst of our inability, of, in his faithfulness to take care of us. Those are the truths that calm our soul. And we have to tell ourselves those things because the voice we hear in us, and I'm not talking about, I mean, some people obviously struggle and hear voices. I'm not talking about that kind of a thing. That is a, a more serious issue. I'm talking about the average person who struggles with just thoughts that come into our minds that tempt us to worry and fear and burden and anxiety and hopelessness. These types of things, we must address them by reminding ourselves what is true of God and replacing truths of God with our own, the lies that we can tend to believe. Here's the final idea, number four, the final truth. The quiet soul hopes in the Lord. So the quiet soul is not proud. The quiet soul is not presumptuous. The quiet soul is not restless, 
because the quiet soul hopes in the Lord. And that's what he says in verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Israel, hope in the Lord. So in closing, he addresses God's people and he calls them to trust him. He doesn't give us any specific, detailed, complicated process. So I don't want to oversimplify this because I know there are very complex reasons that people are uh, enslaved to tremendous anxiety and worry. I don't mean to oversimplify that. I don't mean to lack compassion uh, for, uh, for any of us here who are really, really wrestling under burdens and, and not doing well. I, I, I don't mean to just say, well, just trust the Lord and everything will be okay, as if that's some kind of uh, just pat answer that doesn't go to the heart of the issue and just slaps a Band-Aid on it. I don't want to do that at all. But I do want to acknowledge that David's approach here, I do want to be true to the Scripture, and, and say that his approach here is very straightforward. It is to transfer hope from any other thing or any other person or any other answer or any other ability or any other circumstance. It means removing hope from the circumstance that my job will turn out this way, that my child will act this way, that my spouse will do this way. It means transferring my hope, which says I'll be happy and content and fulfilled if this happens, if I get married, if I have a child, if we get a house, if I get promoted, if I have more friends, if I can use my spiritual gift in the church, whatever my hope is in, if I can accomplish this in 2016, if I can get out of debt, if I can lose weight, if I can, whatever the, the goal for 2016 is, if I can do that, then my life will be happy. And, and we ultimately have to shift our hope from anything, any circumstance, any person that is uncontrollable and unknowable, and we have to transfer our hope to the Lord, which says, Lord, if nothing happens the way I want it to, if nothing goes the way I'm hoping, I have you, and you are my hope. And it's interesting, though it just says hope in the Lord here, some people say that Psalm 30, 131 is parallel to Psalm 130, that they go together. Um, and there's some reasons for that, but here's a very simple reason, is because verse 3 is repeated in uh, Psalm 130 with a little bit more detail. So Psalm 130, verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, that's just what we read, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. So there's the same verse with a reason. We can hope in the Lord because his love never changes. No matter what happens with your spouse, with your job, with your health, with your mom, with your dad, with your house, uh, with your dreams, with that thing you're really counting on, no matter what happens with that, the Lord's love is towards you and it will not change. His love is not tied to your circumstances. It is a steadfast love that is eternal. And it's demonstrated in Christ who gave his life for us so that we can see his steadfast love. God's steadfast love is seen most clearly in Jesus, dying for our sins and being raised for us. And when we fix our heart and our eyes on the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us, when that is the focus of our trust, is the God who did that for me, the God who laid down his life for me, the God who showered me with grace and kindness, the God who came after me when I was headed the other direction, the God who forgave me when I was a sinner, the God who loved me when I was unlovely, the God who befriended me when I was acting like his, and was posturing myself as his enemy. 
When we see that kind of love and that kind of grace and that kind of mercy, we can fix our heart and say, my hope is in you, Lord. And I don't know that I'll live, I don't know I'll be here next Sunday. I don't know if I'll be living the next week, but my hope is in you and you are loving and you are good and you are trustworthy. And I want to be that child that's not rooting around and you know, restlessly got to have something, but I am resting in you and I can be confident in you. It is, it is putting our trust in God and his steadfast love because it is unfailing. God's love for you is relentless. You cannot get away from God's love. You can't do anything to cause him to stop loving you. You cannot, you cannot escape the grasp of God's relentless, eternal love for you, and that must be our rest. That is our good, and that is a certainty in a world filled with uncertainties. We all, uh, go, some of you go back to work tomorrow, some of us go back to work a week from tomorrow, whatever it is, but we all go back to uncertainties in our school and in our work and in our family, but God's love is certain. So what is the noise in your soul today? Maybe you've been having a three-day nap and I just kind of woke you up, I don't know. Maybe you say, well, I don't have a lot of noise in my soul. But, but there's something, you had it about a week ago, and you're going to have it in a week, okay? And that's what I'm trying to prepare us. So what is it? What is it you're dreading about the new year? <clears throat> what is it that you are fearful about? What is it that you're anxious about? What is it that I wish the Lord would just explain that to me? If I just knew why that happened or why that isn't happening, I want that. It's a good desire. It's a good thing, and the Lord's not letting it happen. Why? It, maybe it's your what if. Maybe it's your why. Maybe it's something you want to control. If you're a parent, maybe it's your, your children, one of your children, whether they're young or whether they're adults. You think, my life would just be great if my kid was this way. Or maybe it's controlling your spouse. If my spouse would just do this or act this way, then life would be great. Lord, why is that not happening? Or maybe you're single and desire to be married. Lord, when? How long? Oh, and you really can pray that prayer. How long, oh Lord? Maybe you have a chronic illness and you've been prayed for and you've sought medical attention or someone you love is in that situation. How long, oh Lord? I just want to be healthy to serve you. It's not like I want to go out and say, as soon as you make me healthy, I'm going to go run as fast as I can from you and live a life of debauchery. It's, no, I just want to serve you. Why, Lord? Why? Maybe it's someone who died, someone who died young. Why? Lord, why did you take them young? Why? So what are, where are you fearful? Where are you anxious? Where are you worried? What's the why that you wrestle with? <clears throat> when you listen to yourself, what are you hearing? Where are you self-focused? Where are you measuring yourself against others? Verse 1. Where are you consumed with yourself? <clears throat> and where are you measuring yourself against others? Maybe that's where the unrest is. Maybe it's not anxiety necessarily. It's just comparison. Pride. Maybe it's pr presumption is that I've got to know. So how do we respond? Well, I mean, a couple things. I, I think starting with just this, this psalm, learn it, live it, meditate on it. That's something. And we can ask God, first of all, to help us to turn from pride and presumption. Lord, where am I focused on me? Help me turn. Where are the pockets of pride that I don't even see that are blinding me to you? 
and to others. Would you graciously show me that and give me power to change? Or presumption, Lord, what do, what do I need to let go? Something I am grasping onto that I need to let go. And I need to be able to say in my soul, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Lord, I give that to you. And by God's grace, when the voice comes again, I'm going to say, I've given that to the Lord. I'm trusting the Lord. I'm tr- That's all I can do. I'm trusting the Lord with that. I'm calming and quieting my soul by giving that over to the Lord by faith in his steadfast love. And maybe when those thoughts come up, it's just telling us, it's going through this or some other passage of Scripture. That Deuteronomy 29, 29. Secret things belong to the Lord, but the Lord has given me all that I need to walk with him. Lord, you've given me everything I need in this moment. I don't feel it. It's hard to believe that. I heard him say it on Sunday. I see it in the Bible. It's hard to believe, but I am grasping onto you by faith. Help me. Maybe that's the prayer. So ask him to help us to turn from whatever it is that's that's uh, agitating us and turn to him in faith. Asking someone to help us, sharing it with a friend, asking for prayer from a friend, opening our heart to someone who might be able to help us see things a little bit more clearly. Here's another one, just to seek to quiet yourself in the presence of God. I said it's not avoiding all the activity, that that means a calm soul, but that, that can be very helpful and part of it. We live in a busy time. I mean, we just do in a busy world. And we have, David had a noisy soul because he's human, but we've got so many external stimuli. I mean, it's out of control. It is absolutely out of control. And we're just trained by it. And and so there are times regularly where we have got to turn the noise off. Uh, And here I'm talking about external noise, not internal. But to shut music off, to close the, shut down the computer, get off the internet, shut the social media down, turn the email off and all the notifications, turn the TV off, turn it all off and just be still before the Lord. I'm not saying that will give you a calm soul, but I am saying I don't know that you can get one unless you don't have that in your life. I I don't think we can just live at this frantic moving from here to there to there. We we don't even have an attention span anymore. Nobody doesn't have his attention. We're just trained to be moving from one thing to the other. I mean, I had to tell the pastors, well, I didn't have to tell them, but we have a regular accountability time. And my recent one, I just told the guys, I said, man, I am just struggling in prayer. Well, why? Well, here's why. Because I sit down to pray, and I'm instantly thinking, oh, i got to send that email, and I'll get my laptop open. I sit down to pray and I go, oh yeah, I just out of the blue, yeah, I wonder, wonder what's on Twitter. So I get to go look over there and then, oh, I gotta, gotta make this phone call. And then what about that situation? And then I'm thinking about that. Oh yeah, I was gonna look up that article. Yeah, look up that thing, that Christian or that article about the Bible. I'm gonna look that up instead of talking to the Lord right now. So whatever it is, where I just, and it wasn't like we're all distracted in prayer, but I went through a season where I was just, felt like spiritual warfare. It's like I couldn't even connect two sentences in prayer without my mind just darting off. Our Father, which art in heaven, and I am gone. Now I'm on to the other's topic, you know. I'm, I'm out of here. Just, I, I said, guys, pray for me. And I felt like the Lord helped me, but I'm still, I still feel like I'm battling just to get my thoughts. And that's, that's, the, that's the flesh. Uh, but that's also training our minds to live in a constantly our minds are moving like this all the time. So one of the things is to get set aside a time to get quiet before the Lord. And if you've never done this before, I don't have a verse on this, so I'm not saying you have to do this. Hear me. This is an, an idea that helps a lot of people. I don't know if it would you. But if you've never done this before, 
I'd recommend, some of you have time off right now, to set aside maybe like something crazy, like even half day. If you've never spent more than a few minutes in the Bible, uh, to, what, what if you took your Bible and a journal and just went to a quiet place, maybe some worship music perhaps, and just went to a place for like half a day? Or what if you did it for a whole day and just quieted your soul? And every one of those things that came to your mind to do, just write them down. Okay, yeah, that's right. I got to stop and get so-and-so. Boom, boom. It's out of my mind. It's written down. I'll do it later. What if you just got quiet for a day? What if you went away and had an overnight where you had a day and a night? You got young kids, it may be impossible. Maybe your spouse can watch the kids and you could do that. But where you could just, you could just clear your head and wait on the Lord and listen to the Lord and be quiet before him. You don't have to do that to have a quiet soul. But we have to pause, and sometimes a radical pause just jolts us into, man, I'm way noisier than I even knew. So I wanted to bring that up during the holiday time. People got some time. Maybe you could carve out an hour, three hours, six hours, 24 hours, where you said no TV, no social media, no internet, me and the Lord, I'm going to read a devotional book, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to get with the Lord, man. I'm going to write down what he's speaking to me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to listen to some worship music and worship him, but I am going to go for the Lord, man, and shut all the noise out for a little while. Here's the last idea about applying this. If you set any priority in 2016, any priority in 2016, make it be getting before the Lord and quieting your soul before the Lord in his word and prayer. And if you don't do that at all, start with five minutes a day. Or if you do that just a little bit, 15 minutes a day, half hour a day, an hour, whatever it is, just where you're pausing in the morning or in the evening to get with the Lord. Because I can't say that if you spend 10 minutes every morning in the Lord, that's the answer to a quiet soul. I can't say that. But I can say if you don't ever pause in his word and feed on the word and pray and listen to the Lord, I can guarantee you, you will not have a calm and quiet soul. It's impossible without feeding on the Lord and being fed by him. So I don't know what the Lord's got for you. I mentioned a couple things. Get out of debt, lose uh, 20 pounds, get that new job, buy your first house, I don't know what the goal is for you this next year. You know, um, uh, study a certain book of the Bible, uh, finish your college degree, uh, live till the next year. I don't know what your lofty goals are for the current year, next year. But I would say at the top of that, make what's in Psalm 131 your top goal. Lord, this year, what I want to make sure is that I'm engaging with you so that I can say, my heart is not lifted up in a haughty way. I'm humbled before the Lord. I need you. I am not occupying myself with the unknowable and the uncontrollable. I am, I am, uh, I am having my mind renewed by your word and prayer to trust you. And Lord, I want to walk as one, like a child, a weaned child, trusting you this year. I want my hope in you. And so I am, I am engaging your word in prayer this year. If I do anything, that's my number one goal. And everything else will follow through that. Because what if you get some of the other stuff and you don't get this? Is, is, that, is that worth anything? Is, is it worth it to be 10 pounds lighter and have no more relationship with the Lord? Is it worth it to be $5,000 to the better in your financial picture and not be any closer to the Lord? Really? Is that, is that even worth it at all? No, this is, this is life right here with Him. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org. Thank you.